pick your class and learn your battle points. Because it's time for the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast. Welcome to episode 198 of the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast. I'm your host, Sage Goodwin, and today I'm joined by... Hey guys, uh, I'm Boomstick. Um, been working in esports for a while, so thought I'd just uh, come in and talk about some, some esports stuff. And in this episode, we're talking about esports as a whole, how it affects the Star Wars universe, and specifically Star Wars video games. Let's get started. For people who don't know, could you give us a little bit of a background on yourself? Sure. Um, I've been doing esports for five, five or six years now. Uh, I've done events for Bethesda, EA, uh, done a lot of Fortnite, Call of Duty, stuff like that. Been involved in pretty much every facet of it, mostly from the graphics perspective, but also TOing and producing. I'm very interested to see how Squadrons is going forward with esports and the, the possibility of that and the potential and very very fascinated with stuff like uh previously star wars duels now uh legions and how a community will grow up around a game and add this competitive aspect to it so obviously as i'm thinking about these things i'm like you know who i should talk to about this boomstick so that's what this episode's going to be <laughs> When you think of esports and the esports community, what has been your what what's your favorite thing about esports as, as a whole and your experiences with it? I just it's really cool to see everybody like you get a community of people latch onto a game and they're like, "Man, I really want to get good at this game." And you'll see people spend like thousands of hours getting good at a game, and then you'll also have people that are like man, I really like watching the people that are really good at this game. I want to make <laughs> events around this game. And so then they spend thousands of hours just like trying to figure out like how can I produce an event for this and stuff like that. And I think just that kind of camaraderie between the people in the community is really cool. Definitely. I'm my So growing up, I was a Nintendo boy. I was had the GameCube, uh, GameCube NES were the, the first consoles that we had going through that we never really played smash bros until the wii u came out and we got super smash bros 4 and got really into the local competitive scene uh, in colorado so we greatly enjoyed that aspect of it and then going through and watching stuff like evo and these big competitive events and i, I always find it fascinating to see these communities sprout up around these games so there's there's the fan part of it and then there's the like you're saying the people are like you know what i really like this game i'm going to spend an absolute crap ton of time and get insanely good at it yeah so like coming coming from the rocket league community that i think kind of had a, a similar start to something like the smash community where it's kind of just like this silly party game and all of a sudden people come out and start doing insane stuff and it's like oh no i didn't even realize you could do that in the game and so then <laughs> you have all these people that just go really sweaty and all of a sudden, you have this esports community just kind of forming out of nothing. Going into something like Star Wars Squadrons, and as soon as that game was announced, I think we were all like, you know what? I think 
this could be the Star Wars e this the Star Wars competitive esports game. So to my knowledge, I don't know of any like hardcore esports based Star Wars games. No, the most the most competitive one would probably be Battlefront, even though it's kind of a little unconventional. When you say un- un- unconventional, when something is looked at and said, okay, I think this could be an esports game. What what do you what do you think? makes a popular esports game the most important thing is obviously having a, a high skill cap mm-hmm. um so pretty pretty low barrier to entry so it's easy to get into but you have a lot of stuff to master and the skill ceiling is pretty high and so you have a lot of people floating up above that uh, or floating up around that skill ceiling and that's where your competitive scene comes from. So that's that's really the most important part is making it pretty pretty heavily skill based at the higher levels. So when I when I think of esports, I think of like the smaller scale games, stuff like Smash Bros, where it's one v one or two v two, or even Rocket League as a smaller scale compared to something like Battlefield. Do you think that the reason that these esports games are smaller is because it's easier to manage and that it just fuels the community better? Like when I think of Esports, I don't think of something like the Battlefield franchise. I think of something like Rainbow Six Siege. I think of stuff like that. But even though, like, even in that same phrase, like, I'm contradicting myself when you come to stuff like Apex or Fortnite. So you mean uh, just, like, team size? Yeah. Yeah, so I think the reason you see a lot of these, uh, like, smaller scale esports is just because it's easier to watch. Um, It's easier to keep track of a team of like five six people versus a team of like what is it 60 in battlefield something like that (laughs) and it's also easier to get that many people together to compete in an event so it's like if you have a tournament coming up it's much easier to wrangle up four other people than it is to wrangle up 50 other people so that's definitely a big part of it Something that I I love to talk to people about when I'm talking about video games is at least like when when I have a an interaction with someone and they're usually of the older age audience and they're like kids kids these days watching video games like what's the point of watching video games when you can go play your own video game and one of the things that I use an explanation is something like Fortnite it's crazy to think of this worldwide phenomenon that is Fortnite and you see talk show hosts interviewing someone like ninja like these huge esports um and competitive gamers and streamers and you're going through and being like okay yeah i saw those i saw that guy on like jimmy fallon i saw that that guy on insert like talk show host i th- i really think that something like that really opened the doors did you see a growth from around that time that like uh, Fortnite really exploded definitely that's that's kind of when it started coming into the mainstream a little bit more you got people coming out like that didn't realize oh you can make millions of dollars just playing video games so obviously like growing up your parents are like hey don't play video games that's a waste of time you can't make any money doing that well you can now (laughs) (laughs) now everybody knows it it's the uh, the dream job as a kid being like, okay, I'm, I play video games for a living. And it's obviously it's like so much deeper than that. You have to have like a, a good skill level. You have to have a good personality. You have to have uh, business sense. You have to have all of these different things. But on the surface level, you see, oh yeah, he plays video games for a living. A lot of times it can be either one or the other. Like if you have a really good personality or you're really good at something, 
mm-hmm. uh, you can definitely go pretty far. Obviously, it helps to have a combination of the two, but uh, it's really the barrier to entry is lower now than it ever has been. And I think that that's just really cool to see. Also, if you're not watching our weekend streams, you should definitely watch them. Uh, we played uh, played some Apex together, and we were there for the personality, not the skills. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that I, I I need to like intro every stream and like repeat it throughout. It's like if you come in here for good gameplay, it may happen. But don't expect it. <laughs> By some crazy stroke of luck, you might see something cool. <laughs> but don't expect that to be repeated. <laughs> Been there. That's the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I produce the events and I don't compete. <laughs> well, let's let's get into the details on squadrons. So squadrons, we're all super excited about it. It's sad that Battlefront's ending. It's sad that after such a huge response, even this huge support from the fan community, stuff like the petition that's got over 100,000 signatures, and even the like Battlefront being added to PlayStation Plus and then being added to Steam, having, I think it was around like 4 million concurrent players just on PlayStation alone, sold almost 40 million copies, like a huge success. And then to end the support, and it's not like a cause and effect where they ended the support and then Squadrons came out and that was the reason, but they end the support and we get something that is incredibly unique. We get Squadrons, which is 5v5, first-person Star Wars Starfighter game. Like, what was your response and what was your reaction when that got announced and how did you feel when, when you saw all of that? Immediately, my jaw dropped because... A 5v5 Starfighter game has been my dream esport for as long as I can remember, and nobody's done it. Elite Dangerous, Elite Dangerous kind of tried, uh, didn't do it very well, but I saw it as soon as you slap the Star Wars label on it, everybody's going to be on board for that. Mm-hmm. And just having a Star Wars esport is super awesome. So I was definitely very, very, very excited. Like I've said multiple times on the podcast and the streams, I got into when when Battlefront 2015 came out, obviously I loved all of the ground combat, but something I greatly enjoyed that I did not expect were the, were the Starfighter game modes. Like I greatly enjoyed that. And then to have something like that, it's fascinating too coming from a, a company like EA who gets really hounded about these big multiplayer experiences and then going in and we get Squadrons, which is unlike anything that you would think would come out of EA. It's definitely definitely a passion project for Motive. And I think it's really cool that EA decided to throw some money at it and be like, yeah, go for it. We'll, we'll publish that game. Um, definitely unexpected, but very exciting. I'm super excited for the the community and seeing how how it takes it, how it fills the space that Battlefront left. Battlefront's still going to be there. Battlefront is also breaking news. We'll be getting a new patch to fix the the claw rush problems. Uh, a couple other things as well, <laughs> but that was the main one. It's just kind of strange that they were like, "Yeah, we're cutting off support for this game," and then what like two weeks later they're like oh uh here's an update by the way we're just kidding (laughs) (laughs) that's a little weird um but i definitely think that 
they are working on Battlefront 3, and that's why they are killing support, because they want to focus on that. I have no doubt in my mind that that's what's going on. Do you let let's 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 put a pause on uh, squadrons real quick. <laughs> what makes you believe that? Because of the the massive growth uh, in the Battlefront Two audience, that it would be kind of dumb of them to kill off support for that and then not have a follow up game. Definitely. I mean, just from a business perspective. Yeah, the monetary gain there is too huge to overlook. But do you think after, do you think DICE will make it? Do you think that another company will make it? Do you think they're going to open a different development uh, branch just for that? What, what do you think that will be in terms of like the logistics? I think it will probably be DICE again, um, because obviously they just have the expertise and the massive scale that Battlefront is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I probably think that they're going to bring in motive more than they did for Battlefront 2. Okay. I think that Motive's, Motive's going to have more fingers on it, especially depending on the success of Squadrons. Mm. I see Squadrons as this game that is going to decide the future of a lot of other Star Wars games. I mean, if Squadrons does well, I could see a future for Star Wars games from EA being a lot more focused and a lot more smaller scale, a lot more ground level, I would say, if it does well. Yeah. I think Squadrons and Jedi Fallen Order are kind of used as a litmus test to be like, what what is the real interest in Star Wars games right now? Mm-hmm. Um, Squadrons is a little, it's probably going to be a little bit less accurate than something like Jedi Fallen Order, because it's probably going to be a little bit more hardcore than something like a Battlefront, and so yeah. it's not going to be the greatest gauge. Um, but I think it's definitely part of it is to just kind of make sure that that interest for Star Wars content is still there. Definitely. It's so I think it's hilarious how little how un, how largely EA underestimated the success that would be Fallen Order. Like I you can even see from the projections of how they expected it to go versus how it actually did. And you can see that people really, really want more Star Wars single-player contained experiences. Mm -hmm. While I love the Battlefront 2 campaign, something that the Battlefront 2 campaign didn't really overly commit to was like a singular story and a focus point. It seemed like they were trying to do a lot of things all at once, which they were. They were the first official canon Star Wars video game series, and they couldn't really branch off too far from the path like they were throwing a lot of ideas that just weren't able to be put across i think they played it really safe because they probably had the same mentality that call of duty had when black ops 3 came out was they just cut the campaign Mm -hmm. it was like nobody cares about single player anymore so put put a little bit of effort into it but obviously most of the effort's going to go into multiplayer and so I think that they played it a little too safe and kind of disappointed people. They had that that little expansion that came out not long after that was it out, it added a little bit, but mm-hmm. it was definitely like them playing it very safe because they didn't think the interest was there. Cuz something that really confuses me is EA saying that they are doubling down on Star Wars. Why weren't you originally doing that? <laughs> If I had to guess, they're not actually increasing effort per se. 
so much as that's just kind of marketing jargon for, yeah, we're going to continue making Star Wars projects. Yeah, I think that's a good point there. It's very confusing to me, the approach that they've taken to Star Wars and how seemingly unprepared EA was for the success that they had with the games. Like even even though Battlefront 2015 launched and it was... It was mediocrely reviewed, had a super hardcore fan base that I still love. Like that was, I will for years and years to come have so much nostalgia for Battlefront 2015 and its introduction for me to actually have like the first community that I was a part of in terms of like multiplayer and that interaction with the developers that we never got as like Nintendo players, but something like that. And it sold pretty well. And then you have something like Battlefront Two, which had such huge controversy in the beginning and then sold really well, had such a redemption story going back and re-reviewing it. Um, what was it, an 8.9 on IGN going from like a six something? It's crazy that that growth there, the amazing success with Fallen Order, hopefully an amazing success with Squadrons and... I'm super excited to see what they go forward with. Hopefully they they stop canceling so many Star Wars games and actually like will commit to one instead of just saying, you know what, we're having some issues. Let's just can the whole thing. Yeah, the studio too. Revive ragtag. Yeah, please. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's a given that we're going to get a Battlefront 3 and a Jedi Fallen Order 2. Outside of that, I can't even begin to... I guess, imagine what their plans could be. Um, I have a feeling that they would probably want to branch out into something else besides the single-player RPG and then the multiplayer shooter, mm-hmm. but I just can't think of what else that would be. Hopefully a uh, very large-scale open-world Star Wars game, please. That would be amazing. So Battlefront 2 was a huge game, and towards the later half of its cycle was a purely prequel trilogy game like it really turned into like that was what it was known for the clone war season went very long the clone wars lasted forever years and years <laughs> what, what what do you think will they will do to separate it from battlefront 2015 and battlefront 2 i don't know i think they're probably like a battlefront 3 they would probably treat as kind of like a clean slate because they definitely went very heavy into the prequel content because I think they they started kind of realizing that the audience that's playing Battlefront 2 is of the age group that grew up with like Clone Wars and the prequels. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, so just throw a bunch of prequel content in here. It'll make them all happy. Um, I think that they're going to probably keep that same level of prequel content, but then try to bring the other... Uh, eras up to that same level of content mm-hmm. right out of the gate instead of kind of leaving everybody else in the dust towards the end of its life cycle. So I'm going to say something very controversial here. I love DICE. Love the people at DICE. Love the games that they make. But I would love it if DICE didn't make Battlefront 3. Like you said, they have the expertise. They have the experience so far with making a Battlefront game. They have the same people. A lot of the same people are still at DICE that made Battlefront 2015 and Battlefront 2. But the game that I want Battlefront 3 to be is very different than what I think DICE would make. And DICE has a clear track record shown through Battlefront 2015, Battlefield 1, and then Battlefront 2 and Battlefield 5. Very com- confusing names there, <laughs> but <laughs> we, we they have that that precedent of 
not supporting one versus the other. Like if when Battlefront was getting support, Battlefield was not getting support. And then when Battlefield was getting support, Battlefront was not getting support. I think that ba- DICE should stay a uh, a Battlefield development company. I think that's what they do very well. And taking on as another franchise that was adjacent and then they tried to make very different. And some people love that. Some people hated that. I think it would be a much better case if they gave it to someone new, like started a new company from some of the people, like maybe maybe some of the people that worked on Battlefront on DICE get moved over to this new company and are in executive positions. So they're, they're overseeing the production of a Battlefront 3. But I would love it, a new fresh yeah, take. Yeah, I mean, that would just be like a DICE sub-studio. I mean, in my mind, that's the same thing as just allocating the resources under the, in the current studio to doing the new game right like you're just taking people and moving them somewhere else it's the same thing yeah but if they it was like dice battlefront and then there's dice battlefield and then there was dice la doing their own things like none of them they have a dedicated company for that maybe like it's just dice something some country or some city and somewhere and all they do is battlefront so they can start with a much smaller experience and keep that live service support that we, that was announced for Battlefront 2 but just didn't really come to fruition because they had the, the progression system problems, the loot crate controversy, and all that stuff that, that basically killed the first six to eight months of development because they were going back and fixing all of, the, all of those issues. But if it, if it was a dedicated studio where all they did was Battlefront, like DICE was before Battlefront came out, I think it could be cool. Or just like be like, hey, you small developer, you want to make a Battlefront? Here's a bunch of money. Figure it out. And they're going to do some different problems. But I think it would be a fresh take on the franchise. And they would be able to do something new. Maybe instead of like a huge dice version of Battlefront, we get a smaller, more ground level, in the trenches kind of game. So instead of like heroes, you get just get the, um, you just get the troopers. I think as cool as that sounds i think that that would probably be a mistake uh i think if you start with something smaller than battlefront 2 you're gonna have a lot of unhappy fans um and you're gonna have that same controversy that you had at the beginning of battlefront 2 is gonna be right back at the beginning of battlefront 3 obviously not to the same extent because that's not just like stealing your money but it's still gonna make a lot of people very unhappy i think so i think it would be smart to keep it under dice but they should probably bring on more people uh to allocate to battlefront specifically instead of flip-flopping people back and forth um but i mean that's something that a lot of major studios do if you look at blizzard blizzard moves people around to different titles all the time I don't think Dice is as big as Blizzard, but it's the same same kind of thing. I think it, it'll be interesting to see if uh, what you say comes to fruition, and I, I definitely think that they're considering it. Um, I think they're going to be having conversations about. So we've got this huge battlefield coming out. What do we do afterwards? And they're looking at Battlefield, and then they're looking at Battlefront, and they're like, "Hmm, Battlefront gave us a lot of money." I don't think Battlefront will ever probably match up to the sales of a battlefield game um but i definitely think that they're probably reassessing their priorities after the boom that battlefront 2 got 
mm-hmm. towards the end of its lifespan. And how to leverage that the, the the strengths of something like adding it to Steam, adding it to PlayStation Plus, and seeing about seeing how many people were brought to the game through that and the gigantic pushes. So if they time that perfectly, like maybe a year into Battlefront's Battlefront 3's life cycle, they add it to Plus, and then they bring that many people in there. I think going forward, they've they've definitely got um, ties to Steam. So now at launch, all of the Star Wars games going forward, I would assume, would be continued to be launched on Steam as well. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the case. I don't know why. I think it would be a little silly for them to like push all these games to Steam and then not release the their newer games to Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a big thing with uh, how they're pushing EA Play now is, hey, yeah, you can buy your game on Steam, but if you buy it here and you have EA Play, you have all of these other benefits too. Yeah. And so I think they're kind of just kind of trying to repair their reputation at this point because obviously it's not great in the Star Wars community or with all of their sports games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're kind of trying to fix that relationship between themselves and their communities by not limiting their platforms so much, but incentivizing their own. So going going into Squadrons now, let's talk about your project that you're working on in terms of esports and Squadrons and how you're merging the two. So... Unfortunately, Squadrons is a little weird because they came out and said, hey, it's not looking like you're going to have private matches, at least at launch. Don't get your hopes up for private matches. And so obviously that leaves esports in a really weird spot. Mm-hmm. And I think personally that's a really weird decision to not have private lobbies in a 5v5 competitive game. Oh, definitely. It's very strange. Um, but that leaves tournament organizers in a really weird spot trying to figure out formats like how can you make this game competitive if the two teams can't play against each other and so with something like operation ace which is the project that i'm working on it's less of a competitive event as it is like an influencer slash marketing event i guess Um, because i'm just bringing in five influencers having them build their teams and basically giving them objectives in private matches. Uh, I mean, in public matches, because that's really all you can do at this point. I think, I, I don't know why they would make, like you said, make the decision of something that has such a great potential for esports, competitive, and just generally, I have more than five friends. I would love to have all <laughs> 10 of my friends to be able to fight. Like, we could be all in the same voice chat. And then 5v5 each other. Like, we could, that's something that we could have so much fun on during streams. Like, have all of the Wayfinder people jump in, and clearly we could, we could get more than 10 people to play squadrons. Yeah, I mean, you could even hop in for 1v1s. Like, who, who's going who's gonna to duke it out solo? And, and who's, who's the better pilot just by themselves? You could do 2v2s, 3v3s whatever so it's just it's a very strange decision and i they didn't do private matches for battlefront either which makes me think that it has something to do with uh the frostbite engine Mm. 
I I don't know what though, because I think Battlefield games have private servers. They do, and Battlefront 2015 had private matches. Yeah, so I just I it's either something with the engine or it's an EA decision saying, "Hey, we're not going to spend the money to give you private servers." Because obviously they would have to keep up with those. We're just going to give you the money that it takes to upkeep the public servers. So I just I can't figure out where that decision came from. Obviously you can theorize all day, but Charlemagne had said that if they were starting to do private matches now, it would basically derail development, which sucks. Um, but it just it leaves everybody in an awkward spot trying to figure out what to do about it. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Like I could I can you can understand the the decision in something like Battlefront where it's large-scale game modes. We don't really want to support that, even though they did in Battlefront 2015. But something like Squadrons, where you have 5v5, the biggest match you're going to get is 10, like no matter what. But they're just like, nah, fam, we're not doing that right now. (laughs) We may not do it at all. You could even offload those server costs by just saying, hey, you can host your own servers. You can have a server browser and host your own servers but they didn't even do that for battlefront 2 and i just it's very odd um i if i had to guess they probably lost money doing it in battlefront 2015 and they were just like now they're really wary about it i wonder i wonder if they think it's going to be more of a casual even though they have everyone i've like i've talked uh, the last episode we had bombastic and eckhart's ladder on and they were telling they, they were talking about how much of a learning curve it has and how much of of like what we we're talking about earlier the 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 roof of the, the learning roof um what was the phrase that you used skill ceiling skill ceiling uh learning roof <laughs> There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's the new term. That's yes. the that's the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> the skill ceiling is so much higher, and like there is that casual audience. But I, we were talking about how it could be. It's definitely going to be with those ranked matches a super hardcore community. We're not really going to know where the skill ceiling is for a while. Probably a couple of months after release. Um, but the skill floor is definitely higher than people are probably used to. And I think that it will probably scare some people off, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but with something like, so I, I reference Rocket League a lot because that's the community where I really got started and all of this stuff. Um, when Rocket League came out, nobody knew what they were doing. Everybody was just flying everywhere, had no clue what was going on. Um, people in bronze didn't even know how to get up off the ground. Um, but, but now like five years after the games come out, you join a bronze ranked match and they all figured out how to fly now. And it's just crazy. The skill floor has raised itself just by virtue of people being able to get in and play constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that not like not having private matches in squadrons for people to test out stuff like that with their buddies or with a team is really gonna make that skill floor pretty stagnant. It's, it's it'll be interesting. Like I'm super pumped for squadrons. I'm I'm really excited to see how everything goes forward and ha- what kind of a community goes um, 
goes for it, the the amount of retention that they have, and the availability of, of servers, the awesomeness that is the crossplay edition. Like that's something that should be in any that's multiplayer incredible. cross. Like if you have a game that releases on Xbox, PC, and PlayStation, and it's multiplayer, like I don't see in 2020 and forward why you would not have crossplay. We're getting there. Um, a lot of the Microsoft and Sony were not playing nice for a while, mm-hmm. mostly Sony. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that they're kind of, uh, I think they're kind of backing off on that. And so I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see a lot more cross-platform. Um, the unfortunate side of that is that means you're going to have to create a bunch of accounts for specific games mm-hmm. uh, instead of just being able to have one account to play multiplayer. But I, I'm sure at some point in the future, people are going to figure out, developers will figure out a way around that. And, well, well it'll just be a lot easier. Um, but definitely in the next couple of years, you're going to start seeing a lot more cross-platform multiplayer, which is really cool. That's probably my favorite thing added in the last, what was that? Minecraft really pushed that as well as Rocket League, what, three years ago or so? Rocket League just got cross-platform, I want to say last year. Okay. Like the the end of last year or earlier this year. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, my, but yeah, Minecraft some, may have been something two years like ago, that. One or two years ago. It was it was fairly recent. Like that that's something that I greatly enjoy with this console generation towards the end of its life. It's like, you know what? These barriers are kind of stupid. We should just like not have those. And everyone's like, Yeah, you should. And Sony was like, <laughs> No. Wait a second, guys. Wait a second. <laughs> Minecraft's a kid game. We can't have kids playing with other kids on other platforms that's not safe and then nintendo's like yeah it yep. is we did it, we did it. Like, crap. <laughs> you just killed our argument there <laughs> i mean it's a weird thing that uh it's it's something that i think a lot of japanese companies are just kind of wary of they're very very protective of their their brands and how they're seen uh mm-hmm. through through the public lens uh, and so that's something that I think kind of kept Sony from playing ball for a while. Uh, but now not having it is obviously the worse, the the greater of the two evils yeah. for them. So Microsoft's been on board for a long time. You can see now that like with uh, Game Pass, oh Microsoft gosh. is incredibly consumer friendly. It's kind of insane. And they're they're not incentivizing people to buy their consoles anymore because first of all those companies don't make a whole lot of money off of consoles to begin with mm-hmm. i think if i'm remembering remembering correctly the ps3 was sold at a loss for most if not all of its lifespan historically um, in that in that generation previous generations console makers made the consoles and then ate like basically hemorrhaged money for every console cell and then made it back in in those cells because they may uh sony and microsoft charge like 30 percent like the same same like platform tax or whatever that other platforms uh we will not name right now (laughs) (laughs) but they that's where the majority of their money came from and then a playstation 4 and the xbox one were the first consoles i in a while that they actually made profit on 
yeah, they they can't do that this time around, I don't think, just because of the massive jump in hardware that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, these companies make way more money off of software sales than they do hardware sales. And so I think Sony is like, well, you know what? If we have crossplay, that'll probably drive more software sales. So let's do it. <laughs> now they're playing ball. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for the future of gaming. It's going to be interesting to see the Switch also with Squadrons. Um, I believe that they've announced or have mentioned something along the lines of you'll be able to play Squadrons on the next gen. It won't be necessarily optimized for it, but it will be playable on the the next gen platforms well i think what i remember hearing which i think i just heard this a couple days ago was that it will be compatible with the next gen systems and it has systems in place that will make it run at a much more stable frame rate at higher resolutions okay and so so it will be it will be basically like future proofed for the next generation of systems okay more like uh, how PC games are developed. Yeah, that's that. I mean, when you look at it, game consoles are just fancy PCs. Yep, definitely. Super specialized, but it's exciting. Finish off this episode. Stay tuned to Operation Ace. That's going to be super fun to see what you guys are putting together on that front. Stay tuned to Wayfinder. We've got some really fun stuff going on that. Stay tuned to this podcast. Because we've got some big changes going forward with the rebrand. We are, after this episode launches, two episodes away from episode 200. We want to do like a big collaboration. Uh, maybe not everyone at once, but we're going to have inter- uh, people on the podcast throughout the whole 200, 200th episode. And I'm super excited for that. So stay tuned for all of the fun and amazing stuff that's happening. It's a great time to be a gamer. It's a great time to be a Star Wars fan, and it is a great time to be a Star Wars gamer. Any any final thoughts that you would like to uh, add to this episode? I mean, I guess just wrapping things up, I'm, I'm really excited for where Star Wars is headed. I'm very excited for where gaming is headed in general. Um, and I think, I think it'll be interesting to see what motive NEA do with squadrons see if they bring on private matches at some point in the future fingers crossed sweet thank you so much for jumping on the podcast this has been a blast thanks for having me um we need to jump on stream again see if we can get a dub on apex now that they've got the sixth season out (laughs) we'll get it this time i'll just (laughs) grab a sentinel and we'll go okay there we go (laughs) 